I pressed it. Yeah, it's coming. Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own, Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. What do you think, dude? I like it. It's all right. It's all right. It's a start. Dude, you got to give it credit. It's awesome. It, you know, it came together last minute, lit, literally. <laughs> it, that's, it worked. That's the first time I heard it. I wanted to wait and hear it live, and I'm pretty impressed. It sounds super legit. Yeah, we could work on some sound level stuff, I'm sure, and, and uh, make a little tweaks. Uh, we'll add a piece every every week and oh, see yeah. if anyone notices uh well they might they might <laughs> be searching for it now yeah no i'm kidding but that it has a good energy you like the, the uh, energy yeah, that it i brought? like it you you looked a little too uh like you were listening to enya or something over there <laughs> his eyes were closed and he was just grooving but yeah i think let us know what you think you know was it uh is it okay? <laughs> is it better than Tyler's? <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> I mean, nothing's better than that. Let's just be honest. Hard here. to beat. But at least this is consistent. We can do it every time. And uh it sets the tone. Dude, we just we we evolved just one level. Yeah, I already feel like we're coming in with a better energy. Totally. We'll get an outro here pretty soon, but now that we kind of have a theme. We're moving up. We're trying We're to legitimize up. ourselves so that we can actually present this to someone in a higher level position than us at the company that will actually give us permission to have spent all the time that we've spent we have on this permission. project. We had a meeting earlier this week about the new building we're mm -hmm. moving into in a few months. And, you know, right now we're sitting in a dedicated studio, but it's quite small. And we're going to be evolving the new studio. And part of that will be uh, more sound treatment and also some equipment to promote live streaming. And, live action. And uh, so the vision is to have cameras set up. Permission. And also, well, we, <laughs> just we're, we're, slowly, just we're slowly gaining permission. Yeah, people are on board. Yeah. Um, cameras set up and live streaming the pod. So perhaps multi-camera setup so you could see you and I discussing, but we could also have a second camera angle for parts, maybe an overhead camera angle, and we could uh, change it live and be broadcasting live, say on YouTube, and uh, then recording that and uploading that. Yeah. And um, we also need to get on some, like a social platform or something so that we can mm -hmm. share some photos and maybe clips of the pod. Maybe Twitter. I don't use Twitter in real life. <clears throat> yeah. But I know for this type of stuff, it's great. I have an account. Please don't search for it. Gray Gizmo. <laughs> what is it? I don't know what it is, actually. But, uh, uh, he just doesn't want to tell you. Come on. It's very, very, very dormant. I, okay. I started that account early on. I don't know. When did Twitter start? Like 2008? It's got to be that old. Um, but I have maybe less than 10 tweets. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I have zero tweets, so you got me beat. I was on Twitter more recently over the past uh, couple years, just observing, mostly for politics. <laughs> but uh, I try to – Twitter is never my thing, you know. I like Instagram. I'm a very visual person. What about you? Do you like TikTok, Instagram? What do you want more? I I used to like Instagram a lot better. Um, it's it's just going downhill for me. I every, feel like the every, whole world's going downhill. Ever, ever since Facebook, honest. yeah. Well, Facebook ruins social media. Also, by the time your parents get on your platform, yeah, like it, it ruins it. You know, like yeah. by the time your grandma and grandpa or your mom and dad are starting to use the media social media platform that you're on, it right. kills the vibe. Which now means the once we start using social media platforms. It's killing the vibe. Yeah. Because we are That's now happening with TikTok, our parents' right? age. Oh, yeah, exactly. The people who have been on TikTok. They're mad at our generation. TikTok what it is. Once you and I are getting on it, it's too, it's too late. So how do we win? Like everywhere we go, we just bring We created all the good stuff. Us. That's true. 
So that's where we win. Those <clears throat> punk kids are using <laughs> technology built by millennials. We just win by reminding them of that fact. I suppose. I don't think that works. That's kind of how old people are to us, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why can't we just get along? We need to live longer. That's the problem. Human lives are too short, and we no spend way. yeah we spend half of our lives just trying to observe the world and understand understand it. So by the time we're there, it's it's too late. We so I think it should be shorter. Oh. Like a dog's life, dude. It's the coolest thing ever. Dogs if, are amazing. They come, improve the world and Well, I will say they leave and they teach you all kinds of things. In my potentially controversial opinion, if human <laughs> lives were only, you know, ten to fifteen years max, um, we would probably still have a lot of biodiversity on the earth and uh probably less global warming. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, today uh, we got a lot of things to talk about. We got news to bring you a little bit, and the topic of the day is going to be uh, filament metals. Filament metal. Yeah. What's the deal with filament metal? What the heck? <laughs> what What do what we the think heck about and it? Heck? And how? What What should you think about it? We don't know. It's popular. We're gonna have a. It's gonna make waves. Yeah, we're gonna have a discussion about our experiences with it and uh, better understand like what to expect out of filament metal technologies. Uh, but we'll get there. Yeah. <clears throat> we're we're going to try some new stuff today and yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right. We already tried a new intro. We're just breaking out of our shells today. Feels good. We're spreading our and wings. it's Friday. It's spring weather. It's Friday. 60 oh. plus degrees in Utah. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk about was my favorite topic for the past four weeks. Wait, what? sorry. Bookmark that. Okay. Come back to it. I have to say something. What's that? I got some feedback on our last episode. Oh. It was, it was. Brutal. It was brutal. So. <laughs> we should address this. We want to be better than that. Mm, we, okay. I'll let you, right. you say your Tyler thing. Tyler thinks you it's amazing. Uh, no, 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 no. No, I'm kidding. I, I would like this to be a little more entertaining I agree for, with for that. people to listen. Uh, I know we've talked about it, you know, whether or not it should be more geared towards education or whatever, but I just want you to feel like you came away with a nugget. Every time you yeah. listen to the show, it's an hour long. If we can leave you with, with one nugget of information about uh, whether it's professional 3D printing or maybe a material that you... you, you <clears throat> Thought looked good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We want. We don't want to. We just want to try and set you straight on it and tell you what we know, being kind of behind the curtain of the the industry, right? Like our, some opinions, right? Yeah. Oh, and for nugget sure. nuggets, not chapters. Last week's episode was probably <laughs> too skewed towards being educational, and uh, especially on a topic where that would benefit from from some visual demonstration, for sure. It just seemed, from the people I spoke to, uh, very heavy. Mm -hmm. And that's not what a podcast should be. A podcast is supposed to be entertaining with education, you know, being maybe second priority. Yeah. <laughs> Educational while entertaining. Yeah. But also, I'm not willing to accept feedback, so I think that those people's <laughs> opinions should be kept to themselves, and they should find new podcasts. This is... Okay. Listen, <laughs> everybody that's listening, he's not trying to turn you away. We've got some people at work now that word's kind of gotten out a little bit like, oh, you guys have a podcast? Yeah. And then people will tease us about it and, and whatever else, but we don't we don't care. The, pro just... the proper response is, listen, I'm an experienced podcaster. I know I've what made the people 10 want. I've made episodes. Yeah. Hey, this is episode 12 now. It is? I See, think so. We're way more experienced than a lot of people. So <laughs> anyway, at... At this point, we're trying to take everything with a grain of salt. We have had some people reach out uh, via email. Thank you for those who have done that. It means a ton to us, especially as we're we're getting our start. Yeah, and we do genuinely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Genuine. Yeah. And, and your listenership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also want to update people on the, uh, what do we call it, the, the race between Australia, Canada, and oh, India. Yeah. Okay. Australia jumped back into the lead. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Our listenership continues to grow, which thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you to everybody. 
Um, we are primarily based uh, here in the States, but yep. we appreciate everybody listening. And if we're helping out, great. Yeah. Definitely our content is skewed towards, uh, you know, the Americas. Yeah. Because that's where we oh generally <laughs> spend our time. Tyler was about to talk. He was about to talk some some poop. Uh, no, no. We don't no, want no. any poop talk on the other countries. We love you guys. I do. Tyler's got this weird thing against Canada, but... I'm just adversarial <laughs> it, by nature. Well, I can't argue against that. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the let's jump into this thing. Okay, so NNDM, nano dimension. This oh, is something this is that, in the news. This is in the news. Yeah. So we've been talking about some of their fundraising efforts over the past six to nine months, and I just want to give a little bit of an update. I came uh, to understand that they've had a bit of a rough patch, valuation wise. I wonder why. So they're currently sitting on <laughs> like a billion and a half dollars in cash, which if you look at the outstanding shares, like you just take that amount of cash and you divide it by the out number of outstanding shares, you get a dollar amount per share. Right. And it's almost $6. So just on paper, if they had no other assets, no IP, nothing, just cash, you would have a stock price of almost $6. Current stock price, $7.47. So it's quickly approaching penny stock status. And that is down from a high of like 16 and a half. Ooh, February 9th, three weeks. Well, well, well. I'm not going to say I warned you. You're saying that, yeah, this is an opportunity for you to say, I told you so. And this is not an opportunity to gloat, buy low. And, uh, you know, bring your average cost down. I'm just saying 3D printing companies should have technology that people want to buy. It is. The idea, the concept of nano dimension, for those of you who don't know, it's very cool. It's 3D printed PCBs. 3D printed electronic circuits. So PCBs is a primary primary application, but also something like antennas. Yep. RF. All yeah. kinds of stuff. In There's... theory, yeah, it is an awesome application. But in... Which, by the way, we've had the opportunity to use. Yeah. We've got a machine here. We do have a machine here. So we just want everyone to know we're not just... <laughs> we, we have a deeper understanding of this particular company or brand or technology than many casual passersby. I want it. I want it to work. I don't. I try not to share opinions on things that are like not educated opinions. I don't always stick to that. But in this case, it's an educated opinion. And in theory, the technology is great. But in practice, there's a lot of challenges with the uh, with the technology as it stands. So, which prevents the market really from embracing it. And I mean, for better or worse, we've seen it so much institutional and uh, retail investment into the 3D printing industry this year. Mm -hmm. And I love that. You know, this is something we've talked about. I struggle with, um, you know, where some of that is going to, like how it's being divided amongst everybody. But overall, I think it's a good idea to do your due diligence and understand, like, the fundamentals of a company and understand, like, how healthy is the company itself and not invest purely on speculation of what might be happening in the future. Just my personal opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I do think like if I were to speculate, I would be all about VR, AR, machine learning, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Companies in and around that space, probably it would be, it'd be uh, very early to invest in companies like that. But five Five years from now? That's when you want to do it. Yeah. Very early. I would love to be in a position to be associated with companies like that um, and technologies like that, you know? I would like to see organizations like Velo, which has an additive platform, uh, laser powder bed fusion machine that is collecting so much data, so much data, a terabyte of data per build up to 
using that in a way that is predictive, you know, we call it machine learning, but it's really just advanced statistics. Sure. Yeah. It's exciting. I think so. So let's jump into that. Any more news? I don't know. Well, well, the other news thing is that brought on the topic is we saw a, a news article about what BASF releasing. Oh yeah, um, and that's kind of what brought this this whole yeah. topic on. Yeah, we, we started seeing the BASF, um, and Matter Hackers have sort of partnered in a way, and MakerBot is really what brought this to our attention. Yeah, we have a partnership with MakerBot. <laughs> yeah, we actually just received two MakerBot MethodX machines this week, by the way. They came in? They came in. Fantastic. We're kind of leaving everything that we are receiving in boxes, uh, it, it seems like, yeah. because we're we're in preparation to, for this big move, like Tyler yeah. mentioned. So we're really excited. I am. I went over and took a tour of the new <laughs> building the other day, uh-huh. and looks great. In, ready to in slap that one lab, on we may end up having a, a large, a very large format FDM printer. We may, we will for sure have, you know, the Fortis 450, the J850, J55, exact F370, metal. the Exact Metal XM200C. Um, what else? We'll have a large SLA Neo? machine, probably. The Neo 800? A, a previously Neo machine, probably not the 800. The 800 is so large. It's so big. We got to have one. We'll have an SLA machine. What and about Origin? And hopefully we'll have a DLP machine as well. All right. Now, these are previously Neo, previously Origin. They're yeah. now Stratasys yeah. machines. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We have a big enough space for all of these, and I hope that our job kind of becomes lab technicians yeah. almost. Like, <laughs> I, I hope I'm in the lab coat just printing crazy stuff all the time. And we'll have the Tormach set up in a way that we can f- more freely use it. Yeah. And uh, we'll... We will also have to have more pro post-processing equipment, especially for the the exact metal system, where we're it's a DMLS system printing in you know things like 316L, M300. Not we're gonna do non-reactive metals, which is a topic that we could potentially talk about, like reactive versus non-reactive on some yeah. future episode. And uh, we'll need to post-process those. So s- some of that's gonna involve machining, some of it's gonna involve uh, just hand tools, you know, like a tumbler. Do you know what a Fordham tool is? No. Fordham tool is like a Dremel on, it's like an industrial de- Dremel. Does it have a vacuum attached to it? No. Not that awesome. <laughs> we will have a cool vacuum though. We'll have an <laughs> explosion proof vacuum. If it can't keep the place dust free, I don't care. Yeah, but we do have partitioned rooms now. So we don't have just one open lab space. We'll yeah. have a wet room, uh, you know, maybe a post-processing room, and then also the lab, and then also, like, the lobby will contain some of the office-friendly printers, the J55, the F370, for example. I'm excited. It's going to be sweet. We're going to do some videos. Coming in. Coming in soon. Coming hot. Okay, so um, MakerBot basically said, hey, on on our experimental extruder, we will now allow you to print ultrafuse 316L stainless steel composite uh, filament. Which made us feel, fill in the blank. Oh, we're going to ab- ad-lib this? Yeah. It made me feel queasy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great word. Yeah, it's... <clears throat> we both got a little nervous when we saw... Uh, well... Tell us why. Tell us the why behind when we see these types of technologies, they're first met with some some doubt. Well, in in a more general sense, I have this mm, this guttural feeling about the trustworthiness of additive in general. Right now, the additive industry and you know, how well we're able to reconcile what we read and what we're led to believe versus what we experience. And with filament metal, I think this is an area that we could and we deserve to be more upfront about. And I don't think that filament metal is marketed in a way that's as transparent as it could be. And 
that that sounds very ominous, but uh, hopefully it, now it'll make more sense after we have a bit of a discussion here. Yeah, so here, right on their webpage, this is the feeling I get when I read accessible metal additive manufacturing on a desktop 3D printer, or desktop 3D printers is here thanks to BASF 3D printing solutions, Ultrafuse 316L, mm-hmm. metal 3D printing filament. <clears throat> when I read that first sentence, I'm like, Oh, yeah, Yeah, I have a Prusa, and I'm about to print in metal. I'm about to enter industrial phase. Yeah, it's definitely a play to market metal printing that is as easy as plastic printing. Like, ultimately, that's what the goal is, right? Yep. And my firsthand experience with this metal filament technology is that there are challenges during the printing phase— but there are also considerable challenges during the post-printing phases. Um, depending on what technology you're using, you might have one or two post-printing steps that present, uh, you know, more risk for uh, ruined prints and, and uh, difficulty hitting tolerances and things like that. Well, let's just... So that's where I was really curious, like, what... Okay, if you if you take one of these machines and you print this ultrafuse material, what's the end game? Where, what steps do you take? What what did we find? Yeah, so let's assume though, at least for now, we can talk about the print problems. But let's assume that this prints great. Prints okay. as easy as plastic. Let's do that. Let's let's assume like if you feed it a, a shape, that it spits out an F, a standard FDM quality shape back at you. Yep. And it's to size. Let's, I think that's a fair assumption that we could work from. Yeah. So let's talk about the difficulty. Once I have that part, uh huh, it's on the tray. It's ready to go, right? Like I can put that into use. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> so tell us more about what happens once we get a... The, the industry is calling these green parts. Yeah, that's changing a little bit now that um, you're having kind of two flavors of this technology. You're having one flavor that requires two steps afterwards, and you have another flavor that just requires one step afterwards. So um, I think it is fair to say green part in both senses. You end up with a green part, but you may find that some people will claim it's a brown part. If it's a green part, it needs to be debinded and then sintered. And if it's a brown part, it just needs to be sintered. On the Ultrafuse site here, it's claiming it's a green part. Yeah. But thanks. It, it needs to be debound. Okay. So yeah. explain that. Okay. So these filaments, if you look at the volumetric uh, makeup of these filaments, they are just ballpark, roughly 20, you know, 15 to 30% polymer binders. And then the, the remainder is the metal. Uh, the metal powdered. So it could be bronze, copper, stainless steel, whatever. So there's a significant amount of binder in these filaments, and that's one, what allows them to be formed into filaments. That's what allows them to be flexible and be fed through the machines. And it's also what helps them keep shape. Um, It's it's what allows them to be printed, first of all, because when you're running these filaments through your extruder, it's heating up to the point to soften and essentially melt the binder, but not the metal powder. And uh, so then that gets extruded out, it cools, it reforms. The subsequent steps are, we need to get that binder out of the part. So you are left with a problem where you have to take out by volume, like 20% of that part, so that you end up with a fully metal part. So we're burning out the binders. Um, So if, if... like on the ultrafuse with two steps afterwards, the first step is a a solvent debind. So you're placing it in a solvent tank and you are agitating it and whatever, you're giving it some time to uh, eliminate solvent-soluble components in that binder. So this is how the Metal X works from Mark Forged. This is previously how the desktop metal studio system worked, but they released a studio system 2.0 recently that eliminates the D-binder. 
Um, my understanding is this is how Repedia's technology works. Or sorry, it's not how Repedia's technology works. They do not have a D-binder. Um, Repedia was recently acquired by X1. So it's like 50-50. Some of them require a D-binder and some of them don't. But the main, the main point here to understand is that they have additives. It's not just metal. We need to get rid of those additives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, some parts need to be debound, some do not. Um, eliminating the debind step is actually a huge step forward in making this a viable technology. Uh, the debind step was very problematic from where I sat. And I can give more details later. But if you have ultrafuse, you would go through a debind step and then the sintering step. And uh, in some of these other ones, you might just go straight to the sintering step. Sintering is essentially what ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> the ruiner of all things. It's just the ruiner of this whole concept. I will agree with you. Yeah, you've already said in, you know, your own terms, this isn't a viable technology in a sense. It's, it doesn't fulfill most people's expectations. That's a better way to say it. Man, you should be a politician. <laughs> that's absolutely true, though. It is true. And, it, and, my, my, and that's fine. If that's the way it is, great. But part of why I wanted to talk about this is that the challenges of these subsequent steps just kind of get glossed over in the way you see this technology presented in, in many ways, right? They kind of just gloss it over and they say, you know, if you're using ultrafuse, the sort of the expectation is, is that you would send the part out and have it centered by a third party. If you're using uh, one of these full stack solutions, um, they provide a sintering furnace and whatever equipment you need and you center it in-house. Um, either way, it's going to be a challenge. I would prefer to have it in-house, but uh, because you fail faster and you hopefully understand, like, it actually takes some iteration to make it work. So You start to learn what geometries struggle with the sintering process. You do. You, you, you learn what geometries will struggle, what geometries will um, be more stable, and what geometries, you know, the expectation is that it wouldn't work at all. And uh, oftentimes you don't really know with any amount of certainty where that part will fall until you put it through the whole process. And then you might have to iterate on maybe how you orient it on the printing phase, but also how you orient it in the sintering phase. And you may need to change your geometry. So that's where the value prop starts to... Um, deteriorate a little bit is that if you you have a technology that's positioned as like a prototyping technology but if you have to prototype your prototypes you start to move away from what the the true value add of additive yeah and they're trying to make it easier with partnering with matter hackers yeah basically matter hackers is coming in and saying hey you print the part in ultrafuse, uh -huh. which is what you're familiar with, and give it to us, and we'll take care of the second step. The oh step boy. that, oh boy, that stinks. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> it's well. This is what this is what you and I both were thinking. Yeah. But I'll speak for just myself. Like, okay. you're going to have a lot of people with built up expectations, right? Mm -hmm. I already said when I read the first sentence of this, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have access to metal. Yeah. And someplace magically takes care of all the post-processing that I don't even understand is very difficult yet, mm -hmm. right? Because I printed it, and it printed simply. Yeah. And it met my expectations. Well, now I'm getting calls. This is what I expect. Okay. Now I'm getting calls from Matter Hackers saying, yeah, uh, could you send us another one of those? This one didn't work. Or can you send us the file for that? We're going to print another one here. And we're going to make some tweaks to it so that it that it works. Yeah. And you're just going to have all these people like, why won't it work? Yeah. They, and not understanding the why. And that would be one of the most difficult aspects of being in their shoes is communicating to the people who are trying to use their service. Like, here, here is the design guide. 
for this material, you have to stick to it, right? And uh, even then, there's a percent chance that we're going to have some challenges there. Can you give us an understanding of what these secondary processes, what the systems cost are? Yeah. Basically, what is Matter Hackers taking in? What are they helping their people out with in terms of cost? Well, my understanding is that they are centering parts for a flat fee. And from what I saw, the, the fee was actually really reasonable. Um, most people who are interested in this technology, I would think, uh, would 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 complain about the price. You know, I've I've seen like fifty dollars flat fee, which is very reasonable given the cost of the equipment to center these and the consumable cost, um, which and, is what? and the maintenance cost. If you give us an estimate, well, it depends on what they're using, but there aren't a lot of like low cost sintering furnaces that are equipped to do these parts. So you're on, if you were able to find a furnace for like 50 or 60,000, I would be really impressed. So generally you're talking about a hundred thousand plus and, uh, you know, many, many multiples of that in many cases. So it's expensive equipment. So say you get it for a hundred K that's what we're saving you as uh, matter hackers. We're going to save you 100k in all the all the equipment. Yeah, we'll take that on for ourselves. You give us a flat fee of 50 bucks or 100 or whatever yeah. it might be, and we'll take care of the rest. Yeah, which sounds really simple. It sounds does. nice, and it works for other things. We are very skeptical mm-hmm. of how this is going to work with this. Well, for one, I know it's it's even difficult to ship uh, green parts. And if you're shipping brown parts, why is that? Uh, because they are not strong parts. You know, they have the consistency of something like a crayon. And you know, if so, if you have small features, uh, you know, they're going to be prone to breaking. Mm-hmm. You might your your parts are prone to damage in shipping. Green parts with the extra binder, the solvent soluble binder, are stronger than brown parts. So. You know, if Ultrafuse was just a straight to center material, then I would say shipping those parts is almost not possible. Uh, but they do have a debinding step. It's just something to be aware of there. Um, if they do arrive, then it's up to matter hackers to kind of assess like, how am I going to center these? And um, some parts may not be centerable. Like if you looked at a part that had two discrete centers of mass. You know, imagine something like a dog bone, an exaggerated like milk bone type dog bone mm-hmm. where you have a skinny section or like a barbell, not a bar or barbell, dumbbell, something like that. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to center a part like that because there's too much mass in different directions. Yeah. So during the sintering process, you uh, normally you would evacuate the chamber or you at least create an, an inert environment uh, through gas, nitrogen, ar- argon, something like that, depending on the alloy. And then uh, you start to raise up the temperature. And you reach temperatures that are essentially at the melting temperature of your alloy. So you know, for a stainless steel, I don't know the exact temperatures, but you're up above 2000 F, hot. And the binder grains start to burn off and they get carried away with the the gas and the grains thanks argon yeah um the grains of the metal start to melt and instead of individual grains they start to consolidate mm-hmm. and they start to blend into each other just like you know water droplets would do and uh the part sh- starts to shrink and it shrinks down to size eventually until it reaches, you know, an area where there's there's no binder left, so it's not going to be shrinking anymore. And what? <laughs> so this part's shrinking, fifteen to twenty percent is what I've seen. Significant. So what you're telling me is, if I build with this material, I have to scale my model up so my green part is larger than what I expect to get back. Yeah, whether or not you have to do it depends on what system you're doing. Um, but the the part that you the green part that you print 
is significantly larger than the end, the goal part. And this is where the problems... I mean, think about it. Anybody begin. anybody who's been using a Prusa or a MakerBot or an Ultimakers, um, you know, a slicer where you have a lot of control over temperatures, mm-hmm. you know, like you feel the struggle with fighting warpage and curling and you understand like how sensitive this process is and how what a challenge it is to repeatedly create some geometries. It's the same thing, except now instead of shrinking a, a couple percent, you are shrinking double-digit percentage and hoping you come out with a part that's uh, usable. So that milk bone example, because you have kind of two discrete centers of masses, as you heat it up, they're going to tend to want to shrink towards each other. And so you would end up in a scenario where you could break the part in half, potentially, so you open it up and you have two separate parts, or some twisting or some warping or curling. This is in the sintering. In the sintering phase, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to be clear. Debinding has its own challenges too, but they're less, they're less severe. The biggest thing about debinding is just the time. It's, it was a very, uh, it's a time-intensive step if you need it. And it's also part of the reason why some of these systems um, do not allow you to have fully dense parts. You have skinned parts with infill, just like like a sparse-filled FDM part. Yeah. Because if you create a solid part that's one inch or more cross thickness, like you could have debind times of weeks. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating, <laughs> which is why that you just don't do it. So to, to basically, to summarize what we've talked about so far, it's not as simple as you might think. You're going to have to print oversized green parts. They are going to have to shrink. Because of those shrinkages, geometries become very, very, very important. Yeah. And you may not be able to create what you wanted to create, depending on the complexity yeah. of your parts. So... Let, let's, Me and Tyler are just trying to forewarn and kind of set set you up. It will work for some people. Absolutely, it will. And so we don't want to scare everyone off. We just want to try and help everyone who listens to the podcast reasonably set an expectation and know some of the struggles or at least the whys behind yeah. some of the struggles prior to going all in on this technology. Yeah, exactly. Just go into it understanding that, you know... Um, you know, have an idea that about the geometries that are sort of expected to work and the geometries and the size of parts and understand that there are going to be limitations and there's there are going to be instances where you want to use that material or that technology for parts and it just won't be realistic. I definitely encourage people to experiment, though. And I think through experimentation, technologies improve. Um, I'm a big advocate for that. And I... I love the appeal of this, you know, easy as plastic and uh, as clean as plastic. That's appealing. You can't deny that. It's a pitch that's too big for its britches. Yeah. To use an old man saying. <laughs> the the reason why I felt like it was important to talk about this is, again, because it just gets glossed over. You know, you read and they say, well, just send it out and then we'll take care of it. And it seems easy. It's kind of like. So I, I recently bought a truck, a newer truck, yeah. new to me, and I went and I talked to all these salespeople, and they all have their philosophies, and what I learned is that they really try and, like, grab your emotions. They try to make you make an emotional buying decision yeah. when for people like you and I, yeah. that's not us. Like, we, yeah. we've got a number that we want to hit, we, we kind of know, like, what's a car worth to me? And it's not all about monthly cost. It's about overall cost, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but these guys, they just, they to, really try and gloss over the things yeah. that stink about, oh, dude, it only gets 17 miles to the gallon. No problem, right? Like, that's no problem for dude, you. it's just more opportunity to get, uh, you know, Red Bulls at the gas station. <laughs> yeah. 
or <laughs> you deserve a nice truck. Dude, you deserve a nice think truck. Think about like how this. many points you'll be earning. Oh, you don't want a Chevy. <laughs> you don't want a Chevy. You want this comfort. Yeah. You want this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, w- w- you were looking at that website. What was that? What one? Mantis. What was that? Oh, the the printer with that the hybrid machine. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this hybrid machine. I can't remember the name. I can I can find it. Um, it's while you look it up, I'll, yeah. I'll kind of describe it. So what it does is it prints similarly to this with a green. It, it, what you end up, I think, is with a green part. Yeah. Every single layer. So a green. Tyler has kind of already talked about the durability of a green part. It's softer. So this machine is a CNC subtractive machine combined with a metal additive machine. So what it does, it lays down a layer like we're familiar with, but then it mills that layer, just that one layer, it mills the outer perimeter to a precise dimension. And Mm -hmm. so it does that every single layer so that they can hit a higher dimensional uh, accuracy. Yeah. But what we know... You're going to have some crazy changes in the sintering process. Yeah. So it's like no matter how nice you make it look as a green part, depending on geometry, you can still end up with a cracked part. You can still end up with a part that's out of dimensional spec and we're not creating squares. I see it mostly as a like a surface finish. Like that's I think that's what it will most significantly affect Mm -hmm. is just the overall surface finish at the end. Um, I don't think it will actually play a big role in overall dimensionality or tolerances. Um, it's called Mantle. You were and, pretty close with your guess. Yeah, Mantis is a printer. Uh, probably any word now is a printer, <laughs> but uh, Mantle, and uh, and and that's fine. I, I hope it works out for them. But what I didn't like is when you were on their website and you showed me, like, look at these images that they're doing, and they're doing that comparison, right? Yes. And that's just come on, be be honest. Tell, tell, tell us what you're talking about. There's three images, right? Yeah. It shows conventional subtractive manufacturing. Yeah, so it shows a CNC machine part. And they're all the same part. All three all the of these images are yeah, yeah. the exact same part. Okay. And then on the second image, they show a, a laser powder bed fusion part, a DMLS part. Okay. And the third. And the third part is like a part off their system. So and, what they call the hybrid DML. It's a DMLS slash... No, it's not DMLS. It's it's sintered. Yeah, it's not DMLS. It's a filament. Yep. It's a filament uh, metal. Um, okay. How did they look comparatively? <laughs> so, you know, obviously, <laughs> like, on the CNC part, uh, they keep all the machining witness marks and, and all of that. Uh, on the DMLS it part. It looks beautiful. It's shiny. It looks like it came right out of the machine. It is. It does look like it came right out of the machine, but you w- it shows the tooling marks. Mm-hmm. Okay. On the DMLS part, they show it rusted. Yeah. Rusted. And they, and they say r- creates rough finish or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it looks like they literally took it out of the machine and threw it in the backyard and let it sit for two weeks and then brought it in for the photo shoot. Gave it a little salt bath. <laughs> it's bad. It, it is, looks... It's so bad. They they tried to make it look bad. I mean, underneath right. the rust, you can still see it's a good part. Yeah. Just Why? I think it's disrespectful to the people visiting your website. You and know? their part looks essentially the same as the DMLS part, but it's clean. Just rust-free. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, what, what we're saying is you get a lot of these, like, salesy pitches. You get a lot of glamour shots. You get a lot of things that – I don't want to create a bad image for the industry, but oftentimes we we put the cart before the horse. Yeah. Just be honest, you know, and of course, like put your best foot forward, but have some integrity. Yeah, which we're not going to change with our little podcast, Um, but what we will do, I don't want to say that we're here to expose anyone, No, but what we'll do is we'll tell you when we back a particular technology product or whatever, we have our... Of course, we have our own biases Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll let you know. But we definitely tried not to share our biases. Yeah, if we are biased, we're typically aware in some form, and we'll try to we'll try to make you aware of that. I think and, so. And everybody listening is clever enough; they'll they'll be like, "Oh, dude, Tyler just hates this. Tyler's just that <laughs> kind of guy." 
curmudgeon. Tate, Tate, Tate's a whatever. They're going to have Jaded. their opinion. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if, if you're someone who's in the industry or who was excited about this, like we don't want to stifle any, any of your things. Try we it. just want to help you take a, a deeper look. If you decide to go that route, let us know how it goes yeah. for you. So, I mean, it reminds me, we, we sell a, a nesting software for like laying out uh, parts for router tables, water jet, lasers, stuff like that. Is this a SolidWorks product? It's actually a CamWorks product. Okay. Um, but it runs in SolidWorks. And when it first came out, there were like some serious deficiencies in, for certain workflows. And, uh, you know, we still sold the tool because for some people, it was exactly what they wanted. But, you know, from where I sat, I, I made, I put my foot down and said, we cannot sell this tool to anybody without benchmarking their workflow. So we need their parts. We need to bring them in. We need to walk through step-by-step their workflow. What are they doing? How are they designing their parts? And then validating that on the software. And if there was anything, anything that could potentially be a, a hiccup for them, we would make them aware of it. If there was a suggested workaround, we would tell them that. And if there wasn't, we would tell them that. And you know, my number one priority was making them happy and, and uh, only suggesting something that I truly felt like was a good tool. And over time, because we were honest and, the, and we had honesty in return, we're able to improve that tool. So it was a good fit for a broader audience. And you can't improve if you're not coming from a space of transparency and honesty. Thanks for that. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <clears throat> oh, and so what I was going to say, if you if you're considering this technology, all I have to do is start talking. Tyler's yeah. like, "Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's more." Oh, I'm sorry. I'm if kidding. You're, if you're going to consider this technology, benchmark it out, okay? Make the sales people do work. Yeah. And um, you know, visit the site. No one understand like what is how much effort's going into this print? How much effort is going into centering? What's the success rate? And have certainty, like you could do it on your own. Um, if you're considering it and there's any sort of step where it's like, I don't really understand what's happening there, stop and uh, force someone to explain it to you so you understand it. Yeah, and this is tough because for one major reason, in my opinion, whether you're coming from more of a desktop printer background or a professional print background, you kind of are attracted to additive because it gives you all these flexibilities, right? Now, all of a sudden, those kind of get taken away, but you don't find out till later. Yeah. So um, that's why it's hard to dial in and benchmark this properly as one of those types of individuals because you're wanting to do metal because you've, you're thinking of all these cool metal shapes and things that you can create. And as you move into the industrial sphere, usually there's one or two major applications that drive the purchase. Right. And that's why we're saying like for some people, it's going to work because they've got one thing that they're going to print yep. or one type of thing and that they know that is a successful part on this technology that's not the case for many of us. Yeah. We want to be able to print the freedom to print thousands of geometries or more. Yeah, um, it's a successful part, and the timeline works, and the cost works, and things like that. Right. right. Um, but not everybody needs all that design freedom. Is right. What you were saying exactly. I, and I have a question for you. So okay. we, we have these two method X's. Yeah. Do you see us? Even just giving this a shot, the ultrafuse. <laughs> so uh, we've got to. I don't know if ours, um, there's like two heads, two different extruding heads, and there's a third experimental extruding head. Oh. And it only runs through the experimental head. And I don't know I if we- I think we got one of those, didn't we? I don't know. I don't know. I'll need to look at the, I, I saw the receipt. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we will. Um, and it's, we, this is all based off our past 
experience. We're still licking our wounds a little bit, right? Hmm. A little bit, but uh, I, yeah, I actually probably would try it. I could, I'd have to figure out a way to try it. Um, you know, with with the exact metal, I'd, I would like to get a little benchtop sintering oven to do some heat treat. That's not really the right tool to sinter these parts. I would try it knowing that I'm not expecting it to work and I'm not going to make any judgment on it with that. But uh, I would probably want to try it and send it out to a, like a MIM house or someone who is used to working with metal injection molding mm-hmm. parts and um, try to get them to center it. It would it would not be on the top of my priority list. Me neither. Yeah. I was, I was just curious what... <laughs> kind of where you sat with it. If you're willing, there will come a point, I'm sure, yeah. where the, the technology is improved and that we will be more anxious because we see that something major in the process has changed. Yeah. I would, you know, I did a search and I was trying to find people that were using this filament and, uh, you know, showing successes. I wasn't super successful. I haven't spent a lot of time searching. So if you have, if you are aware of anybody using this filament, and uh, they're happy with it. They're successful with it. You know, sh- shoot us a link. I would. I would definitely be interested in in that. Once again, it's B A S F. If you're trying to yeah. look this up, B A S F Ultra Fuse 316L. Yeah. Um, part of the appeal of this technology is that it's powder free. Like free. It doesn't have like free floating powder all of the powder many people nervous yeah the powder in these cases are encased in that binder and uh i think people and i say people at this point myself is included in this have done too good of a job scaring people from interacting on any level with powdered metal and uh i feel guilty about this because the more I look into it. So you're using this to set the record straight. I am going to set the record straight. I I have to get this off my conscious. (laughs) Now, these are, this is a new, this is a new (laughs) part of the podcast, just admissions of guilt. I'm going to have to uh, let my wife listen to this one. She'll be like, oh yeah, you are growing as a person. (laughs) Uh, So you have, I alluded to this earlier, you have reactive metals and you have non-reactive metals. These are reactive or non-reactive to oxygen in the air. And uh, react, examples of reactive metals would be some like aluminum, titanium. Those are the two we most often talk about in, uh, in uh, the additive space. Those are serious threats. Uh, they're serious explosion threats. They're serious fire threats. Um, you do require significant alterations to your facility to work with these powdered reactive metals uh, in a safe way. Um, But with non-reactive alloys, so stainless 316L stainless steel would be an example of that. Bronze, copper, tool steels, like any carbon steel, uh, nickel-based steel, so Inconels, Hasseloy, those are non-reactive. They do pose a fire threat in large quantities in loose powder. but the primary risk is inhalation, which is easily protected against. So when we bring in our DMLS system into this new lab, it's going to be operating in the same space as our plastic printers. You know, we will have some precautions, uh, like the right fire extinguisher, proper uh, storage of the materials, and like training and rules about interacting with the metals, but it doesn't have to be quarantined off. We don't have to coat the floor with you know, static dissipative coatings. We don't have to like drag chains from our ankles. We don't have to wear fire suits. And Why, know, the, well, the, I get the chain dragging joke, yeah. but explain that a little bit. It's a static dissipative thing. Just like, did you ever work on computers and they send you like this little bracelet you put on to ground yourself? Yeah. Well, well, I never did that, but I've been on some shop demos where they make you put on this yeah. little ankle bracelet that drags on the yeah. floor. You're grounding to yourself. your shoes. You're grounding yourself. You don't want any sparks. It needs to be a spark-free zone. Um, that's the reality for reactive metals. It's not the reality for non-reactive metals. So, but the way the industry treats powdered metal is like everything has to be treated as this reactive metal and this 
extremely hazardous, uh, dangerous material. It, it is hazardous to inhale, but you put a mask on, you're not going to inhale it. So I think that's important to understand. And we're going to have, we're in the process of like re-educating ourselves and also re-educating interested parties. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, to, to kind of cap this off, we're kind of running up on time, right? Yeah. I think halfway through, we, we slip back into education mode there. Don't say, do, don't do drag feel me that? into this. Do you feel that? You I dragged us into I it. I know. It's just, it's going to take me a minute. <laughs> so, uh, I do, we did talk a little bit about, we want to try something new today. We want to bring in some audio from an outside source. Oh, yeah. You prepared for that? You want to do that? Uh, we could do it. I mean, we pretty much, we talked through it, a lot of it. I know we beat know? the heck out of it. Maybe, I don't know. If you don't let's, think it's worth it, it, we won't time. do it. Let's do it another time. Okay. We're, <laughs> just so you guys know what it was, is it's it's just like an advertisement for this. Oh, actually, I do. No, yeah, I do want to bring oh. that up. Well, see, <laughs> all I have to do is start talking. Okay, yeah, yeah. I okay. forgot. Do it. Okay, so I'm gonna be playing. I'm gonna bring on this YouTube video, and uh, I don't actually know what section this is gonna be in. Okay, the parts are pretty good, but there's still a lot of excess material, which I'll have to remove using right. the Dremel. So this, you know, Bobby <laughs> some <Ducard> technical <laughs> difficulties there. <laughs> I just put it in the middle somewhere. So we're watching a video from YouTuber Integza. And uh, where do you think he's from? Eastern it's, European, right? Yeah, it could, uh, I'm not gonna, I actually, I'm not even gonna guess. I think he's probably Eastern European and the dude's a genius. He seems to idolize Nikola Tesla and um, the, the man's a genius. So it's a primarily a 3D printing YouTube channel. Probably a lot of you are aware of his channel. He does a lot of experimentation with... Okay, so far I have the compressor, the shaft support... I'm just gonna let him turbine talk. turbine stator and the turbine. But I'm still missing a key element. The combustion chamber. Now... He's building a, a jet a engine. A yeah, turbo jet engine. In this episode. <laughs> He's crazy. He's fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, we're not gonna be able to show a lot, but I watched this and he use 3D printing in many ingenious ways that we try to advocate for. So like sheet metal stamping was one of them. In fact, in this video, he tries to use his uh, SLA printer to print ceramic parts yep. and then center those parts and what happens? They're toast. They don't work. They're no good. They don't work. So he's it's actually just like proof of what we were just previously talking about. In this case, in terms of ceramics, but we were talking about metals, but same same challenges. Um, so he ended up printing molds and casting ceramic parts. Conc and they turned out Basically good. concrete parts. They turned out good. Somehow he made this turbojet engine that looks like it should uh, kill anybody who's within <laughs> five feet of it, and he doesn't die. I was so impressed. That's his celebration. I can't. I can't get enough of his celebration. Can you describe it to us? He's kicking in the air. He's up on the table, dancing. And he celebrates because it works. It works. It actually works. Which it's a fun video to watch. I love watching these because one, it's like, I, I know some places, uh, some YouTubers call things like one day builds or whatever. Yeah. This is kind of one of those things where he takes you from start to finish and the thing works, and yeah. you kind of feel like you're celebrating with him. You, you, feel, you get tricked into thinking you got something dude, done. Yeah, that's, oh, <laughs> God, that's so true, and that, oh, that's deep. You, you, you look at him, and you judge a book by the cover. You look at his tools, you judge his tools, <laughs> and you think there's no way this guy's going to create a turbojet engine with the tools that he has, and the dude doesn't take no as an answer. He just gets it. He just gets it working. What, it's what, a cool proof of concept. Yeah. Well, and it speaks to the like how three D printing empowers people to create. For sure. And I love I love anything to do with three D printing. I love anything to do with making. So that's kind of one of the reasons we want to share probably more often 
kind of our inspirations. Yeah, we need to, yeah. What's his channel again? Integza, I-N-T-E-G-Z-A, Integza. Look it up. Look it up. He's basically my, he's one of my new idols. <laughs> we've we've got a few people. Me and Tyler are just sending sending YouTube clips all the time of like these new people, which is great because then it creates the YouTube algorithm and you can get some new <laughs> people this way. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I like it too. All right, well, uh, should we call it? I think that's a good episode. And if you have feedback specific to this episode, you can find our emails in the description of our podcast. If there's a topic that you suspect there is more to the story and you want us to investigate, let us know. Awesome. All right. Hope everybody has a good weekend and we'll talk to you next week.